0: Welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio, the podcast for all of our heroes in public safety, including law enforcement professionals, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, and more. The show is produced by the POCUA and is founded upon its Soundness Initiative. This episode is sponsored by the Finest Service Organization, a provider of line of duty death loan protection through many of our POCUA institutions. Hi, I'm Ken Bader, your host for Public Safety Talk Radio. And I have an awesome guest, a perfect guest for this week, Veterans Day. And thank you, before I even get into anything else, thank you to all veterans that have served that that are serving well actually I should correct that right then because if you're a veteran that means you've already served and aren't serving right now but thank you so much for your service we appreciate it here at Public Safety Talk Radio uh, we know a lot of our first responder friends are our former military professionals so thank you for your service and I have a veteran with me today let me tell you a little bit about him his name is Dr. Thomas Shea he's given us thus the permission to call him Tom So we're going to call him Tom. Tom is a licensed private detective and certified Certificated Protection Professional um, through ASIS, considered to be the gold standard of security and investigative certifications. Uh, Currently, Tom is employed as an assistant professor of police graduate studies at Seton Hall University. As a graduate of DePaul University myself, I'll try not to hold that against him. And a director of security for a large school district in Northern New Jersey. Tom is also a security consultant providing expert analysis for subsequent litigation. Uh, Most importantly, as I mentioned, he's had a a very decorated police career. Tom has been the recipient of numerous recommendations and commendations. Lastly, Tom is United States Marine Corps veteran, as I mentioned, of Operation Desert Shield and Storm. Thank you for your service. And Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Nice to be here, thank you.
0: (laughs) Great to have you. See, you know, I, I even picked and choose Some of the the bio so that we can get to you sooner. And it was still long. You did a lot of stuff, Tom.
1: (laughs) Yeah, my kids don't care.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, well, what are they like? My wife. Yeah, are they like eight and ten? Were they at that age? You know, can you just put on Disney Plus and not tell us about your past?
1: No, I have nineteen, sixteen, and six—all boys.
0: Oh, wow. Well, if they're all boys, they definitely don't care about what you did. You, they just want to probably care. go out and play basketball with you or something.
1: No one in my house cares. I could be the governor, they wouldn't care. They wouldn't
0: care. Well. That could be good or bad, but you know, maybe we'll, we'll we'll roll back into that. But as I I joked a little bit, you're you're an assistant professor of police graduate studies at Seton Hall University, and, and this is let's you know just simply say it's an interesting time for for law enforcement. How are you guiding your students in 2022 and beyond? Is is there a particular theme or a message for these folks today?
1: Well, I mean, the, if they were guaranteed anonymity, they would tell you.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I get some pretty frank talk, but I think it would really surprise people. And I wish that, that the public could hear it because right now I'm, I'm conducting a study where I am I persuaded a bunch of cops to speak to me in anonymity. And uh, that doesn't really happen. And I don't think they would have participated in this research project if it wasn't spearheaded by a former cop because they wouldn't yeah. have trusted where their words have gone. But what you're hearing is frank discussion about all the issues of today, but in a very intellectual, uh, thoughtful, compassionate, uh, humble opinions about what's going on in the world today. And I mean, sometimes Anthony Bourdain is one of my favorite people. And I remember he said a thing where you you ask simple questions and you get remarkable responses. And that's all I did. I would say, what do you think? What do you think of what's going on with policing in the community today? And then you get these remarkable responses. And the shame of that is no one hears any of it because the cops aren't allowed to do that. And that's what needs to change. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, I have to ask, especially since it's anonymous from these folks, what are those frank responses that you're getting? And what are we not listening to enough out in the public?
1: Well, they think a lot of the narrative towards policing and police officers in general is you know, generally speaking, in their answers, a lot of it is um, a false narrative. A lot of it is hypocritical in, their, in a lot of their eyes. Now, I will say this, too. What's also hypocritical is that how they feel the public doesn't believe that they should hold bad cops accountable, because across the board, every single one of them said, yeah, get them out of our ranks. Mm-hmm. Get them out of our ranks. We don't want the, the Derek Chauvins of the world, because it makes all of their lives tremendously more difficult. I remember that when that first happened, I get up really early in the morning and I saw that news story break with with Derek Chauvin and George Floyd and I remember watching it and I just remember thinking, I mean, I was also horrified that he was sitting on top of a man when he was dying just as a human being. But second to that, I kind of hung my head because I, I just thought you expletive, expletive. Do you realize what you just did to all the good cops out there like the ones who just responded to that maniac in my city yeah. um, not too long ago. They responded to an armed subject. And, you know, there's so many cops every single like currently, as I are talking right now, there's probably a cop going through a situation that would scare the hell out of most civilians right now. And yet that's all completely whitewashed in this narrative that police policing is a, is a racist occupation, um, that it's racism runs rampant. Throughout the culture and throughout the, the profession, and you know what I always tell people when they when they kind of come forward to me with that narrative, I say, "Well, then, how about the minority cops? I mean, if we're talking about a police department like Newark Police Department and many others across the nation, yeah. predominantly, predominantly minority. So, where's your argument go when you're talking about that? Do you really think they're going to stand by and watch racism be committed next to them? I highly doubt that. Matter of fact. Most of the African-American and Hispanic officers that I worked with amongst other races would be quick to jump in if they saw anything like that. They would never allow that to happen in front of them. Yeah. Never. But this is, the problem is it's, it's law enforcement's fault. When I say law enforcement, I mean the profession. This side isn't communicated enough, so now we look like this nameless, faceless population. Yeah. You know? And that's what drives me crazy because if we just acted more human, not just the leaders, the ones that are polished and give those polished answers, the people on the street, like I'm talking to you right now, they should be allowed to do that.
0: Yeah, ag- agreed on so many points. I will tell you, as a civilian, it it makes me feel uh, validated in my initial visceral feelings of seeing the uh, unfortunate incident of what happened to George Floyd were pretty much exactly what you just said. Um, And a lot of people, you know, may be ticked off at me for not saying, oh, George Floyd, and don't get me wrong. You know, it was a human being that should have never happened. But my very first reaction when I saw it on the news, I think it, you know, it had just happened like an hour earlier or something like that, is you dumb son of a bitch, you've just caused a problem for every good first responder out there in the entire nation. Do you have any idea what your arrogance has caused in terms of a ripple effect that just didn't need to happen? Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of people may chastise me for having that as my first thought, but that was the first thing that popped into my mind.
1: Well, and to be fair, I mean, if we had someone sitting here on the other side, they would argue that policing has a really sordid history, and I don't necessarily uh, uh, disagree with that, you know, but I can tell you that we've, we've made huge leaps and bounds since then. You know, most of which is because of the hiring of multiple minority police officers in these various agencies. Um, and you know what, uh, another thing the cops have been telling me in this research project is that they don't really see what's portrayed in the media on a day-to-day basis. You know, and that's not to say th- certain things. Don't, when you have 18,000 police agencies and thousands and thousands of police right. officers, you're gonna get some bad cops doing some bad things. Like any other human population, human beings are fallible. But and you're going to have some bad agencies too. But that usually comes back to leadership. So we could talk more about that. But yeah. But if you have a strong leader that sets the tone, if you have an individual officer does something bad, they're going to be held accountable. Yeah. In in, in many agencies.
0: Yeah, and I do want to circle back to the leadership topic. Uh, but before we get off of it, you know, there's there's a lot of folks out there, whether it's the unfortunate George Floyd incident, or a combination thereof, or some other news story that was out there, you know, there's there's a lot of blind defund the police, um, and I will say, as a civilian that supports law enforcement, there's a lot of blind defend the police. Yeah, Absolutely. as as a as a civilian, you know, who has you know a little bit of a modicum of intelligence, I see this as somewhat of an opportunity to develop the police in that if there's anything that we could do to level up the position, and the profession, which leads to more police officers coming home to their family safely, then I'm all for it. So in your expert opinion, you know, what, what does police department reform you know, really look like? You, you've been an author of these reports. Um, you, you've definitely dug into this. You know, in, in your estimation, what does police reform look like?
1: It's really simple for me. And I, I, don't really, I don't like to characterize it as a, pol- a fault of police. I like to, co- I like to characterize it as a fault of people because everything that happens in policing is just another job. And people have faults and they have fallibilities. But I think well, kind of what we're doing now. I mean, we're having these frank discussions. I'm always very careful about how I word these things when I give yeah. interviews because I don't want to come across because of my background people automatically assume and stereotype that i'm a staunch defender of all police mm-hmm. I, was a, I was an internal affairs commander for six years i i i despise which means the, you made a
0: which means you made a bunch of friends
1: actually i did <laughs> yeah. because, because if you do it right if you do it right yeah. you don't railroad cops it screw yeah. up as opposed to bad cops there's a big difference there yeah You know, sometimes internal affairs, they kind of meld the two together. And that's not a good thing to do. Like like I said, you have to understand the human beings that make mistakes. But I'm a a staunch defender of good police. And I'm a staunch critic and enemy of bad police. Matter of fact, more so than probably most criminals, because they don't deserve to be working alongside the good cops. You know, so that's kind of how I feel about that. But where law enforcement does a bad job on that is they don't come out and say that because they don't want to go against their tribe. And I get that too. I mean, no one wants to go against their tribe and speak out against their tribe because it, human beings just don't do that. It's not a very popular thing to do, but if we're going to be honest about it, we have to say we have a, we have a shameful history in policing. I mean, you just, all you have to do is look at some of that black and white footage from the 60s and 70s. You know, it's, uh, and we need to reckon that and we need to make amends, make amends for that, but not to the point where it's being manipulated the other way either. Yeah. And I think you know what I mean by that. Every cop does. Meaning you just can't paint everybody with a broad brush. Correct. Who's doing the job today. It's not fair.
0: Coming this March 27th through the 29th, 2022 in Savannah, Georgia, is the first public safety business summit. A program specifically created for organizations that serve first responders. What you will experience is a high level of networking and collaboration among like-minded leaders who are in the business of serving first responders. What you won't get are a series of boring lectures with no interactivity, ridiculous golf outings that are only appealing to a few attendees, or a couple of retreaded subjects that you can hear at any credit union league event that are just thrown into the curriculum. We offer an engaging agenda where attendees even help to determine the content during the actual conference based on their unique needs. If you run a business, a credit union, or a nonprofit that specifically serves first responders, then the Public Safety Business Summit is for you. For more information, go to www.PoliceCreditUnions.com or call 331 300 9889. We hope to see you in Savannah on March 27th, 28th, and 29th of 2022.
1: Look what one police officer did in Minneapolis. Look what he did to the entire profession. Look all the riots that ensued. Look at the cops that were killed, and, and rocks and bottles, all because of the actions of one person that had absolutely nothing to do with them or how they conduct themselves. Yeah. And, and yet, no one talks about that in the media. That's what angers me and a lot of police officers. You know, how come that's okay? You know, that's okay to, to just say, well, the cops got rocks and bottles thrown at them, you know, and, and, fe- and feces and urine dumped on them from rooftops mm-hmm. in New York City. But no one come, no, the, when the pundits sit around a table, they don't talk around, they don't talk about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't talk about those sort of things and how disgraceful that is. And they so- always make excuses for that like the anger is boiled over. There's no excuse for that. There's no excuse for any, for violence ever. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. and To not perpetuate the, the, the anger because I'm as angry about it uh, as you are. You know, it's, it's, it's some of the folks that are even in some of the circles that I work in were so appalled by what happened on January 6th at the White House. And I agree with that but weren't appalled at you know, what happened you know here where i live in downtown long beach where small businesses were being burned and were being looted you know, nobody nobody got up in arms over that over here uh, but oh my god you stormed the white house well what happened to all, what happened to your concern over all the storming of the small businesses in our own town
1: right well if you look at if you if you do a comparative analysis of all of those riots that happened after the George Floyd incident, and compare that to the incident at the Capitol, and again, I'm always careful about how I word this because I know people yeah. can put you in one category or another, and I can't stand that. But yeah, the coverage about that and the, and the horror of the pundits on CNN, they, where where were they yeah. when cities were burning down, when they were burning down the Minneapolis Police Department? <laughs> I mean, there wasn't the same type of vitriol in the in the news media as there was in any respect yeah that's crazy that's crazy to me
0: let's circle back to the reform because you you, yeah we could be angry and upset and there are reasons to do that but those emotions don't necessarily get us to something better yeah how can we use what's going on for real police reform not only what's good for the community but what's going to be better for law enforcement professionals today and 10 years from now, because maybe I'm naive, but I, I think that that could really happen for this profession, What your thoughts on that?
1: Well, uh, to me, it's, it's pretty simple, actually. You have to take accountability and, and discipline of the police out of the particular police departments. Like Derek Chauvin, for instance, I think he was disciplined 17 times. Yeah. Like, why is he still on the road? That's a perfect example.
0: And not only on the road, but he's he's a training officer. Yeah, He was yeah. in charge. <laughs>
1: yeah. in, in almost every single major internal affairs case I had where an officer was fired, it was always due to a bad hire in the first place. It never should have been police officers. Everybody knew it. They were usually hired because of nepotism or some other connection, political connection. And those aren't the type of people that ever have to earn anything in their lives. So they're not gonna be as grateful as a person that has to send out 70 resumes. So right away, you, and, and, and and this is obviously, generally speaking, it doesn't happen in all cases, but in my experience, that's what I've seen. Um, so in hiring and in accountability, that should be taken out of the hands of local police departments to avoid nepotism and have real objective hiring to see what their competencies are. But then the discussion goes to, well, who should do that? You know, and I don't, I don't necessarily think it should be civilians, but I think it could be former or current law enforcement officers not affiliated and kind of a blind review of competencies.
0: Yeah, I, I yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, it makes a lot of sense in the approach. So because there's logic behind it, we probably won't do it.
1: Yeah, no, well- <laughs>
0: Yeah. I think that's I think true. where the problem becomes is, is you've got this huge resume and a PhD and you're giving me and you're giving me simple answers. I want a complex answer. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I don't think I, I don't think reform is is complex. though. I really don't. And that, that's the shame of it, because then, then you then uh, obviously obvious follow up question is, well, then why aren't we doing it? And that's the part that that always confuses me. And many of the cops, by the way, the ones that I interviewed say the same <laughs> thing. If if we can have frank discussions like this and more importantly, push back on those false narratives, yeah, as we should be able to, and then have a discussion and also admit the bad parts about what, what occurred in policing in the past and currently. You know, yeah. but that's just not human nature. That's the issue. It's not human nature to, to do that, and that's what has to change. If you want to talk about real reform both sides are equally guilty of the same things in that they're staunch defenders of their own. Right. Mm-hmm. And they don't take accountability for the bad people in their particular groups. Generally speaking, the community doesn't take, like if you have like this guy the other day um, that happened in my former city, the guy, you know, killed two people, set the house on fire, came out of guns blazing, shot at a bunch of cops, was killed in the line of duty. And the first thing his mother says is why did you have to execute him? you know, that's not living in reality. You know, this is a dangerous individual who, who would have kept killing people. And, and the only, pre, the only reason why he wasn't able to do so was the police.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. One, one last point on the reform question that I want to get your expert opinion on is one thing that never really popped into my mind until about a year year and a half ago as a civilian is how the job of a police officer in a city is kind of a catch all um never really dawned on me but then you know it was explained to me and the light bulb went on says yeah you know, there's a homeless person just you know sitting out in front of a of a building. You call the police. You know, there's you know, a dead raccoon in the middle of uh, <laughs> of an intersection. You call the police. Uh, you know, you get a strange call to nine one one. We don't really know who to who, which service to call. Well, send the cops. They're they're out there, and and I think that one thing that is possible is maybe not making the police profession a catch-all. I mean, if, if somebody is, again, you know, my, my naive opinion, if there's a homeless person outside of a place of business just sitting there, maybe the first call isn't to a uniformed police. Maybe it is a social worker or an EMT or somebody of that nature to see if we can give this person aid. Now, but if there's, if the, if there's a domestic dispute – you know, I, I don't want to send a psychiatrist, you know, I want to send, you know, cops with 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 firearms and training to be able to deal with a potentially violent situation. Yeah. Is is there a possibility that some of the, the division of labor could change in the future that could make things a little bit more, my words, professional for police officers?
1: Well, I can tell you, and I can attest to this that cops would welcome that. And droves. If you could take off a lot of these what we call mundane calls, you know, off yeah. their hands. So but could... mundane
0: sounds like a euphemism for bullshit, but go ahead.
1: Yeah. I know you can say that bullshit calls. <laughs> yeah, if you could take away a lot of the bullshit calls that they don't want to they don't want to respond to, it, you know, yeah. the same homeless guy that they've been kicking out of the same vestibule for months. But I will say this. <laughs> I don't think that'll work because I, I don't think that's a social worker showing up. They're going to say, get that F out of my face. And then they're going to call the cops anyway. Yeah. Cause they're not going to listen to a social worker. They're going to listen to the cops saying, Hey, you can't hang out here, but if I see you here again. You're going to get a summons and you're going to get locked up. Yeah. That's the only, I mean, they, they, they know deterrence. They're, they're you know, just cause they're homeless doesn't mean they don't understand deterrence. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. It's that, that is, that is a good unfortunate point. Um, my wife, through some of her work, has worked with social workers that actively work with the homeless, and they offer them all types of assistance, whether it's a bed or healthcare or food, and, no, I'm good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Bye. So, I don't know, just one other thing in this world that I just don't understand, but uh, but one thing I do understand a little bit is, is about leadership, and I maybe ignorantly think that, that leadership is going to get us to a, a better place um, in this world when it comes to law enforcement. Uh, what has your police career taught you about executive leadership <laughs> and, and what type of leadership do we need in law enforcement today and going
1: forward? I see this is the this is the topic I'm mo- most passionate about because everything cool remotely. i'll give you a half
0: an hour i got plenty of time you got you got a forum you got a half an hour go um
1: i'm just gonna plug in really quick so i don't lose power uh
0: yeah that, that, yeah that, that one you're probably gonna say your most poignant stuff don't <laughs> don't wrong. you know all of a sudden you to lose power and you know end up conking out on me please go ahead <laughs> I'm
1: wrong. um i'm passionate about police leadership because i think that It affects every single aspect of that agency. If you're the type of leader comes in and you're transformational and you set a tone on what's going to be tolerated, what won't be tolerated, and you expect professionalism both with yourself and your subordinates because you can and you don't practice differential treatment and you expect the same level of professionalism from yourself and they see it on a day-to-day basis in your actions, you have to have moral courage and integrity. Most people like to say that they have those two things, but they don't. Most people don't have it, and I'll tell you why. They have it in in minor things, but when it comes to making their lives more difficult or losing a benefit, more importantly, a position like a chief of police, most people take the passive avoidance route with Mm -hmm. difficulties. Now, when I want to jump back to what I said before about police reform. It all comes back to the leader. You need to have moral courage. And what I mean by that is you need to call out the bad cops in your agency when they do bad things publicly. And you need to tell, tell the community, I'm with you. I'm ashamed that this guy wore our uniform and you need to come across like a human being. The flip side of that is when an officer is being railroaded, he knows he's being railroaded, you need to come out and support that officer regardless of what it does to your career. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't don't wanna risk that, then you do not belong in that position. And I'm adamant about that. You do not deserve that position. And more often than not, and this is gonna be controversial, (laughs) but in my experience, more often than not, it's not that they're bad people, but I've seen a lot of police leaders take the passive avoidance route
0: yeah. so they didn't
1: endanger themselves one way or the other. And that's, that, listen, we've all said it time and time again, don't accept promotion to higher ranks if you can't accept the responsibility. And that's part of it. Being a, a leader, not just a police leader, but a leader in general, if you're authentic, is extremely difficult because you yeah. have to make really hard decisions. And usually it's a lose-lose situation in a lot of those really hard decisions. But that you wanted to be there, do that.
0: Yeah, ex- excellent point. It's interesting because we we brought up the Derek Chauvin case a couple of times, and I remember a, a another podcast that I listened to, and I would give it a shout out if i remembered exactly which podcast it was but there was an individual that was being interviewed he was a retired um cop that went into comedy um go figure and yeah in this kind of tongue-in-cheek way he talked about you know how the move that derek chauvin made on george floyd was actually a legal taught move you know, in terms of getting the individual down, but in a joking way, which I guess is some people would not like, but this kind of gallows humor in the first responder world world. This is usually after a few seconds, you get off the guy's neck, <laughs> you don't stay there. Uh, and I give that as an example of you know, every good cop, just distancing themselves. As you talked about leadership saying, This was a disgrace. This is not who we are and what we do. But shifting that to use a different example, I'd like to to get your take on this. Uh, Shortly after the George Floyd incident, an incident happened in Atlanta where an individual had fallen asleep uh, drunk at a Wendy's in the drive up line. And, mm-hmm. and two Atlanta police officers were called and they came and, and in the video, they, they treated him with absolutely more respect, in my opinion, than he might have even deserved. They were very kind to him. They, they were having a conversation and what it was clear that he had broken the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was, he was intoxicated. Yeah. He was behind the wheel of a car. Um, Even if police officers wanted to let him go, they could not let him go that that wasn't an option. And and then he was he stole or he grabbed a a taser and was was shot killed. It seemed to me as a civilian that those police officers who were completely in the right again, in my opinion, were held out to dry. And, and that's where I was looking for. If, if it did happen, maybe it's because I don't live in Atlanta or Georgia and I didn't see it. That's when I expected police leadership to stand up and say, really, yes. yeah, what, what, did, what did these two officers do wrong? Watch the entire video. And you tell me at what point you know, did they do something that was, was not condoned? When somebody is shooting a taser at you, you have a right to defend yourself. It, did it, did I miss something? Did somebody stand up and actually it, it, you stand up for these two guys, or you know, was was that the case? That everybody just kind of, as you pointed out, just kind of passively just said, "Well, maybe it'll go away. Let's not talk about it."
1: Yes, I mean that that's that's basically what they did, and I thought the same way you did. And for sure, anyone listening to this is going to wholeheartedly agree because that was when there was a collective eye roll from everybody in law enforcement like how radical is this going to get this this crazy false narrative I mean that that incident had absolutely nothing to do with race and Mm -hmm. that incident occurred wholeheartedly and and completely based on the actions of that individual who by the way was wanted for a parole or probation award or something Mm -hmm. so um, and, and he he shot one one of the one police officer with the taser, and then he shot at the other police officer, but missed. And that's when the officer fired at him. In that incident, that officer should have been commended for for, mm-hmm. for bravery. And all of a sudden, it gets twisted around. And I would I would watch the news uh, coverage on that, and I would listen to some of these pundits, and it just uh, honestly it shocked the hell out of me. Yeah, you know, like th- this killing of unarmed black civilians has to stop. I'm like, did you just watch the same? Video? <laughs> He wasn't you know what unarmed. What I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's <laughs> you know, it's just it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling, and 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 there's also a little reverse bias in that too, because if, if that occurred the other way around, there wouldn't be any news coverage on it. Yep. Other than maybe officer shoots crazed man. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. And that's yeah. very real. That's very real too. And that's not to discount some of the things that minority groups speak out about, not in the least, because sure. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm married to a Brazilian woman. I'm a full believer in diversity. As a matter of fact, I, I prefer it. Yeah. But it's the truth, you know, and I think the truth needs to come out and I think it's starting to swing that way now. I think people are getting tired of it. Yeah. I'm tired of this false narrative.
0: Yeah, I would, I would hope that, that that is the case. Um, I will say on a very positive note, um, I just attended the police foundation summit in Las Vegas, um, that was put on by the brand new, I'll give them a shout out the public safety foundation network, which was excellent. And they, they had a, um, And I forget the actual name of the session in the panel, but it was the theme was connecting with the African-American communities and neighborhoods. Um, And I thought that at least 95 percent of it was extremely intelligent. Is that discussion was a kind of like we're having very frank. Um, And and there were some things that that the African-Americans said on the panel that I had not really thought of that I think that we needed to think of of what it's what it's like to to be in that type of community and what some police officers can can be doing that caused more of an issue you know it, it did enlighten me a little bit and we need to have more of those conversations yeah so yeah just just one person to another person talking mm-hmm. uh and, and hopefully hopefully that will happen out of this and hopefully people are tired of the the narrative and want to have those conversations uh does that make any sense or am i just it's, completely no it makes am I just completely ignorant living in some kind of unicorn no. <laughs> no, I, I, call,
1: I call it humanizing when you humanize yeah. people it's so hard to put them in a category yeah. you know what i mean like I, I always i always tell a story about a guy that I, I used to arrest when i was a young cop and i was a typical young hard-headed type a you know, I was professional and I was respectful of people, but I definitely had much shorter of a temper than I do now because I'm old.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can't and, put up uh, with as much crap. <laughs>
1: no, I, I remember driving past a guy. He was dressed like a, a cheerleader. And I just said, nice, nice. It was Halloween. I remember saying, nice costume. And I was just joking. Of course, he started screaming at me all these expose, I jumped on. and said, what's your problem? And he shoves me. And next thing you know, it's a fight. I arrest him. He hates me. I hate him. Fast forward 20 years later, I'm coaching him on a jujitsu mat in a tournament, <laughs> you know, and we're friends because now we yeah. see each other as human beings, not adversaries on the street. Yeah. You know, and he, and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't an upstanding citizen in that he committed some crimes, nothing violent, just drugs and such. Right. But, but uh, you know, I, I was guilty back then of not humanizing him and he was guilty of not humanizing me. That's what it comes down to. And that's precisely the issue what we're seeing today. People don't humanize police. And if I sit here quiet and stoic in front of you, you can draw all sorts of conclusions mm-hmm. other than how you look at me now and talking to you like this. At least that's how I look at it.
0: Yeah, agreed. Agree. Well, I hadn't planned on asking this question, but since you brought it up, the most important thing that I want to know is: married to a Brazilian, can you steer me towards a really good (laughs) Shiraz? Oh, a
1: bunch. If you're (laughs) in the Jersey area.
0: Well, if I ever make it to the Jersey area again, I'll, I'll have to look you up so we could go have some good food. Uh, but as I as I begin to, to wrap this up, uh, let's talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial pursuits. You know, as an entrepreneur myself, I, I always love that journey. Uh, you authored a few different books, one, uh, 115 Proven Ways to Dramatically Improve Your Agency, your officers, and your leadership, and you co-own, if I understand it correctly, a couple of different businesses. Tell us more about that.
1: Sure. Um, I, I kind of reinvented myself when I got out of law enforcement. A lot of cops kind of don't know what to do when they leave. Some, some
0: struggle, yeah.
1: Yeah, and actually, I'm actually considering writing a book about that, too, because help with the transition, because I don't, I don't think they realize their talents. I certainly didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And now I run a police consulting business that was slow going in the beginning, but it's coming out good now because if you're good at what you do, word travels pretty fast, you know, and I give police expert reports, but I I never want to be that hired gun. In other words, if I'm going to come out and provide a police expert analysis, use of force report against a police officer, I have to really believe that he committed a violation of use of force, you know, and vice versa. And I'll always back a cop. It's exactly how I was when I was in the public sector. I just bought it into the private sector. As far as the book is concerned, I made rank pretty young. I made lieutenant in about seven or eight years. So I envisioned myself rising through the ranks quicker. Mm -hmm. Didn't happen that way. Just didn't happen, uh, which is fine. But when I kept kept a notebook, every complaint I would hear, everything I would read, where I'd be like, that's a good idea. Anytime I thought of a good idea how to improve the agency, I wrote in a book in case I ever became a chief. And a lot of the stuff is what we're talking about today. Yeah. And when I retired, I p- packed everything out of my desk and I found it. And I said, this would make a good book one day. Never thought twice about it. Threw it in a box somewhere. Remembered it one day. And I just started expanding the entries. Yeah. And then I, I never thought in a million years that anyone would publish it. And the very first uh, company I sent agreed to publish it, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. You actually, you actually have a podcast right there. You already have 115 episodes.
1: Well, <laughs> I actually plan on, um, on taking some of those entries and making them peer reviewed studies. Cause my, I focus on improving police practice. That's my niche in academia. Yeah.
0: So. Awesome. Well, yeah, Tom, it's been awesome speaking to you a, a lot of insight um love what you're doing out there on so many different levels um and and most of all happy veterans day man
1: i appreciate that thank you well I, i mean i don't know who will be listening to this but um and it's not that they probably don't know this but in case they don't i just want to reaffirm it there's so many more people that think highly of you and respect you and what you do and I'm so proud of the men and women that go out there and some of the things they do, even though after doing it 20 years, I'm still in awe mm-hmm. at some of the courage that I see sometimes. Um, some of the situations these people put themselves in and I mean we just lost another female officer just yesterday, somewhere out west I mean it happens all the time. And um, I just wish the profession as a whole and the honorable men and women got the respect that they deserved.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Um... We, we do our part as much as we can at Public Safety Talk Radio, uh, and hopefully more people do their part to, to really give that recognition, Tom. I hope so. I, I appreciate your service. I appreciate you being with you. Thank you again. And thank you to all of you who have either watched or listened to this episode of Public Safety Talk Radio. And we'll be back with you next week with another great guest. Public Safety Talk Radio is produced by the POCUA. POCUA is a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. To learn more about our association and to find one of our credit unions or service providers near you, go to www.policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't working with one of our POCUA credit unions you're just banking with an institution that just so happens to serve first responders. As a public safety professional, you and your family deserve better. Find a POCUA credit union today.